you're listening to a message from Kaleo Phoenix, a church plant in downtown Phoenix, Arizona, that creates space for people to practice the ways of Jesus together. We are in the season of Advent as a church. This week is the second week of Advent, and it is uh, peace is the Sunday. Typically, when, when you preach on Advent, there's this buildup of anticipation and you might hear sermons that center around or use this illustration of a kid who is anticipating their presence on Sunday morning. My daughter, my oldest daughter asks me how many more sleeps until Christmas and you feel this anticipation and this giddiness and this excitement and all of the things that go with the season and we're thankful for the lights. But I feel like it would be a disservice to the year that we're having to use such a sweet, innocent story or analogy about waiting. I mean, it's 2020 and we're so, so tired of talking about it and we see the finish line, but at the same time, it's like 2021, is it really, is it really going to be better? I mean, is is there this time that's just going to be, okay, that year was bad. Evil only knows year and timeline. So we get a reset. No, like in reality, we're waiting. We started waiting in March. We continued waiting. And in that waiting, other things happened, not just a global pandemic, but civil unrest, a racial reckoning, outrage. The news is happening still. And we see it and we feel it. And we're just so ready for that time to be done, to be over. And we wait and we wait and we wait. But then again, even 2020 isn't the whole point. A lot of us have been waiting for a long time. There's real things that plague this world that are not just global pandemics and systemic oppression and political ideologies that are in conflict and outrage news. But in our own lives, we feel the pain of maybe depression maybe looking for an opportunity to have a job that you enjoy, maybe the anxiety that you feel when you are around people, maybe it's even in your marriage and you're just so ready for it either to be over or for somebody to come clean and tell you everything. These are really heavy things and it brings me no joy to talk about them, but the reality is we are people who are waiting. And we wait, and we wait, and we wait. But there is hope. Mark chapter 1, 1 through 8, I'm going to read. The beginning of the good news about Jesus the Messiah, the Son of God, as it is written from the Isaiah, Isaiah the prophet. I will send my messenger ahead of you who will prepare your way. A voice of one calling in the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord, make straight paths for him. And so John the Baptist appeared in the wilderness preaching and a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. The whole Judean countryside and all the people of Jerusalem went out to him. Confessing their sins, they were baptized by him in the Jordan River. John wore clothes made of camel's hair with a leather belt around his waist and he ate locust and wild honey. And this was his message. After me comes the one more powerful than I, 
the straps of whose sandals I am not worthy to stoop down and untie. I baptize you with water, but he will baptize you with the Holy Spirit. Let's pray. Jesus, here we are. We pray that we can cinch the presence of your spirit here in this place, God. May we be people who listen well as we wait. God, speak tonight as we open your word, as we lean into the season that you've provided for us. God, we love you, and we think it's in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit that we pray, amen. There's a voice in the wilderness. And when we lean in to listen to this voice, at first it might sound like the howling wind around the corner of a building. And we lean in, we listen, and we listen, but we cannot make up the wor- out the words for our own thoughts and our own minds are drowning it out. But there still is this voice. It's like an urgent whisper and it's crying out in the desert. This voice, this voice is offering something, but we cannot quite make out the words. This voice is one that depicts this flame, but in the glimpse, it just looks like the twinkling of a candle in a cave. And we lean in and we try to hear and we try to see, but everything around us is so bright and so loud. But still, the persistent whisper turns in to a cry. That cry is, there is hope. There is hope this voice in the wilderness, there's hope. And once we hear this hope, once we hear this whisper, once we see this flame, it does something to us. It calls out to us and it cries out for us to repent because we know that things are not as they should be. We know this, don't we? I mean, who here is like, yeah, everything's pretty great. Maybe personally, but if you have any sort of soul, you see that things are definitely not great. Things are not as they should be, but still this voice cries out in the wilderness, inviting us to something. We are not abandoned. We are not alone. This voice cries out. But what it does is it calls us out to go on this journey. And here we are. We were able to sing songs about the baby Jesus, uh, Ricky Bobby's favorite Jesus. Um, we're able to lean into this Messiah born in a manger of this teenager in this podunk town of Nazareth in a backwater province of the Roman Empire. And it's a beautiful story. And those of us who've grown up in church have heard it over and over and over. And it happens every year where we focus and fixate on it. And it is an incredible story. But John is out in the wilderness and he is crying out this message of salvation that actually in his mind and in his heart, he sees this coming of this new age that he actually is unable to fully identify. There's actually a time where John is in prison and he sends out his disciples to say to Jesus, are you the one we are looking for or should we find another? This voice in the wilderness speaking through a man still in his own limited view of the divine 
conflicts John and he speaks this message, but even in his heart, he sees it going different. He sees it going down a little bit different. As Jesus grows up and he begins to preach his followers and his friends, they see it different. They see it going down a different way while Jesus heals and speaks to women and touches the unclean, the leopards, the blind, and the deaf. His followers keep waiting for this new age to come, for something to happen, for it to be different, for the fact that they are oppressed. They want it to be ended and they are ready to pick up their swords and to fight. And Jesus doesn't fit that image. We're living in a time of of in-between advents. We have the first advent, the first coming of Jesus, and now we have the second advent. And in 2 Peter, verses, 2 Peter, sorry, 2 Peter 3, verse 8 through 15, it says, but do not forget this one thing, dear friends. This is speaking to Christians after Jesus has died. With the Lord, the day is like a thousand years and a thousand years is like a a day. The Lord is not slow in keeping his promises and some understand as some understand slowness. Instead, he is patient with you, not wanting any of you to perish, but everyone to come to repentance. But this day of the Lord will come like a thief. The heavens will disappear with a roar. The elements will be destroyed by fire and the earth and everything in it will be laid bare. We had the first coming of Jesus. He defied expectation and he was killed for it. He rose again and then he promised his second coming. We live in the time of the second coming. The author of Second Peter is speaking to Christians who are becoming impatient because they are ready for things to be restored as they should be because things are not going according to their desire, to their will, to what they want to happen. And they sit in this tension and they wait. And it becomes apparent after years and years, decades and a generation later, when, when it's being written, Jesus has been dead and it doesn't seem like he is coming back. The church grows weary. Yet there's a voice in the wilderness and it is speaking of hope. Now the day of the Lord, we've been talking about it so much. I feel like 2020, like we just keep talking apocalypse. I mean, we, we see the videos of the guy or gal walking out of the house with the coffee and it's like 2020 and there's like zombies coming from the walking dead and then like a meteor hitting and a explosion happening. And then I'm like, yeah, it's, it's 2020. That's what happens. It's a, it's very apocalyptic. The eschaton is upon us and, and this whole thing's over, but people have been fixated on the second coming of God for a very, very long time. This is no exception. And the, the image that we get typically are from terrible theology. Um, and I'll just show my cards called dispensationalism. And if you are a part of the church or you've grown up in the church, you've maybe, Drew, I know you have, we've talked about it a lot. We have good talks over coffee. Uh, but if you've grown up in the church, there's this idea and this depiction of the second coming of the Lord. And it's not just that theology, it's other views of the coming of the Lord. And what we see is this shaking and this quaking of the ground and this very scary flash that happens and you see shirtless muscular Jesus who's been in heaven putting in the work he's going to show off that bod and he doesn't need Instagram he just needs a cloud 
And he comes in and he's tatted up. He's oiled up for some reason. You see him, his hair's flowing, he's beautiful. And he's holding this Roman sword. And now it's time. And the Christians get to say this. I told you so. I told you. We were waiting. It was hard. We've been waiting. And now the day of the Lord is upon us. And guess what? We're on this team. We're on this side. And I told you so. You should have raised your hand when the pastor lied and said nobody was looking. And if you wanted to accept salvation on the count of three, hands in the back. Two, the God, God is moving. The spirit calls three. Every hand, oh, come up to the stage. I told you, you should have raised your hand. You should have prayed that prayer. You should have come with me to the table at the church. And while those things might not necessarily be bad, I feel like when we see Jesus in this way, we miss the fact that he came in a very specific way the very first time. The first time Jesus came to humility and meekness as a child and then growing up and defying every expectation of them wanting him to pick up the sword, the second time he comes, I'm willing to bet it's going to look a lot like the first. He might not be an infant, but I don't think he had a personality change when he went to the right-hand side of the father. This sword-wielding, bloody Jesus doesn't seem to fit the narrative of the gospel. And what happens is when, when you prefer this vision, which... Typically, you have the Lamb of God, and it's like, now we're going to get the lion. I feel like we're mistaken who Jesus is, because who Jesus is, is everything God had to say, period. That's the gospel. Jesus. Jesus was the full embodiment of God. If you see me, you see the Father, he says. So if you see the father fully in Jesus, will he be any different on our second advent? For me, this gives me hope. This gives me hope because there's this peaceable kingdom and an invitation for us. And as we wait, we repent, not because we're afraid of the sword, but because we've already been slain by it. We've already been slain by it and buried. We know things are not as they should be. And I always hesitate to talk about like our sinfulness because let's be real, we've heard about it quite a bit in churches. But we know we've, we've messed up at times. There's things that we wish we could take back there's things that we've done and that we've said that we completely feel like we've missed the mark and it doesn't look like this Jesus that we profess. We know this, but there's a voice in the wilderness and it is calling us to be who we truly are, who we've always been and all that other stuff is just falseness. But we have guilt. The patron saint of vulnerability, I heard some people talking about her earlier, uh, a fellow Texan named Saint Brene Brown says this, she says, shame and guilt are different. Guilt is that you've made a mistake. 
shame is that you are a mistake. There is a voice, she didn't say this part, this part's me, okay, you can tag me if you want. There's a voice in the wilderness and it is saying that you do need to repent. You are a sinner. There's this falseness of you that does not embody the image of God. But don't mistake it. This voice is not looking at you and saying you are a mistake. You are so gross in your sin that this holy God cannot look upon you. His eyes turn away in disgust. That is not this voice in the wilderness. It is one of hope. So as we wait, we are people who wait in penance. We confess our sins, but it cannot stop there. Because as we wait, there's a posture in which we wait. There's a posture in which we wait. In Ephesians 6, my hands are cold. I can't turn this Bible. Got it. I also forgot to put on my headset tonight. Full of mistakes. I've made a mistake, but I am not one. The armor of God. Finally, be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power. Put on the full armor of God so that you can take a stand against the devil's schemes for our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of the dark world and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. Romans 13, verse 11 through 12 speaks about this armor of God and in this place of darkness, we are to put on the armor of light. We are in a place of tension, this now but not yet where there are actual evil forces that are waging war against our souls and we feel it and we see it, but we get confused by it, which is the tactic and we think it is against one another, the flesh and blood. Greg Boyd says it this way, one reason we're so quick to engage in human warfare is because we're so slow to engage in spiritual warfare. Instead of pillaging the enemy's house and taking it back for God, we pillage each other. There is a war and it is a spiritual one. It's the one that tells you you're the mistake and it's the one that tells you that there's us and that there's them. It's the one that compels you to say, I told you so. It's the one that makes you indignant over political views. It's the one that makes you see somebody and look at them in disgust. It's the one that makes you so frustrated that you can't be in somebody else's presence. It's the one that makes you want to skip out on inviting somebody to your table. It's the one that causes you all of those things inside of your chest that just presses and presses and we cannot get rid of it. There is no doubt a spiritual war and thank God that this voice in the wilderness has called us to put on this new armor. But like we said earlier about this second coming, this Jesus on the cloud, this armor of God doesn't look like the Roman soldier who was baptized and switched teams in all his regalia and flash and armor. He goes on, Paul goes on to talk to the Ephesians about helmets and swords and belts and breastplates and all the things that we would depict that looks like a Roman soldier, but he's subverting that idea because the armor of God doesn't look like the Roman soldier. It looks like the naked, bloody, beaten Jesus on the cross. As we wait, 
we are people who wait in penance. For there's this true self that God calls us to be that is called son and daughter, image bearer. And this penance calls us into this active waiting of equipping ourselves through the spirit of God to where our act of putting on God's armor, we have to take off our own. We have to take off selfishness and anger and pride and certainty even. All of the things that we shield ourselves with. I was in my office the other day, deep in prayer. Why are you laughing, Marco? I was in my office though. Yeah, I actually, was, I actually was praying. I was trying to like be silent for a while before my day started. I had a lot of thoughts going on. I was trying to steal myself. And I like actually got into this sweet spot to where it's like, oh, I'm doing this. Oh, here it is. And then I stopped telling myself I was doing it and I actually started doing it. And all of a sudden, right next to me, our office is off of uh, First Street and Adams. I start hearing this do, 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 do. It's a jackhammer. I mean, we're in a loud space right now, but I'm talking, it was like rattling my body. And I was like, you know what? Not a sermon illustration. Do not look for a sermon illustration in your time of prayer. Do not do it. This is for you. Do not do it. And look at what I'm doing right now. But listen, it's actually decent. I'm hearing this hammering away and I start thinking back to my own 2020 experience. And I'm not gonna lie, it's been hard for me. There's been times that, that have, I think maybe I've struggled a little bit with depression that I haven't fully identified and processed. And there's this thing that, that planting a church is a hard thing and, and it's a vulnerable thing and it's a risky thing. And then to plant the church and then six months later, it'd be told to stop, uh, that had effects on me. And I think I have to be real enough to name that that was difficult. But with that, I, I feel like what happened in that time and what's happened in the past when stuff has been hard, and I think is a human thing, is we start to collect this armor to protect ourselves from feeling those ways. We start to look for certain things that we can regain control by. We look for things to take on a little bit more power on certain things, but what happens is we start getting bogged down with this heavy armor that we were never intended to wear. And what I hear is this voice in the wilderness that is doing work in our lives that once we listen to it is like that jackhammer, if you will, to our soul breaking through the exterior breaking through the things that we put over ourselves to mask, to take control and to seize power, breaking through the resentment and anger and anxiety and pain. When we listen to the voice in the wilderness, it will have implications and the road, the journey that we get called on is actually treacherous and painful because it rips things that we've attached to ourselves from us. And when you lose something, it doesn't feel good. But the whole time, Jesus has been at work. We are actively waiting. We are actively waiting. And as active waiters, those who live in this in-between, we are called by Jesus to follow the way of the lamb. 
to start looking like Jesus. So that means that instead of trying to get Jesus off of the cross, we ourselves climb upon it. Embarrassing fact. I'm just being, I, I, I have read some Brene Brown lately, so I am feeling extra vulnerable. Um, and I'm trying not to bleed on you guys um, or uh, be over traumatic or whatever. But there's a very embarrassing story of in college, I went to a Christian school and they had a Easter pageant every year. And I played soccer at this university and they were looking for someone to play Jesus, but they wanted it to be an athlete. And because that's the way to reach athletes is to do a corny Christmas pageant and have a soccer player play Jesus. Uh, but Jesus got a full year scholarship at this private Christian school. Yes, please. So they approached our household and they asked my friend Mark, who was our goalie. They didn't ask me. But Mark wanted his, his boys to be his disciples. I feel like this is, I have a picture of it. I'm not going to show it, but maybe you can do a deep dive. It is extremely embarrassing, um, but I did it. I, we put makeup on and dresses or whatever they're called and did this Easter pageant. And my character, Peter, had a sword. I was the only one with the sword and I thought it was awesome. I mean, as awesome as an Easter pageant can be. And one day during rehearsals, our buddy Mark was being put on the cross and he's a 6'3", flowing haired white Jesus, as he was. And we're thinking, you know what? We don't like seeing our buddy stripped down on that cross. We should save him. We should rise up and change the story, flip the script, and let's go save our buddy Mark off of this cross. But there was a problem. They recruited the football team to be the Roman soldiers and we didn't stand a chance. But that temptation was so real. It really was. Like when you think of Jesus on the cross, how many of you kind of wish that when the Roman soldier said, hey, if you're, you know, a son of God, why don't you have the angels come save you and wish Jesus would have called him up on it, brought in the angels. We mustn't, in our theological perspective, try to remove Jesus from the cross. For that is what we need to repent from. His first followers wanted a fight. Peter even slashed a guard's ear off. They were ready to mount this militant guerrilla warfare against Rome. Yet Jesus came and he preached peace. So much so that it confused that very voice. John, I'll tell you after this loud truck goes by, we see you, buddy. To where even in prison, he second guesses it because he sees this different vision of the kingdom. And even now, as we continue to wait and wait and wait, we mustn't fall into the temptation of remove, removing Jesus from this cross. For in this cross, we have life. And it strips us down to our very core and we're seen. It strips us down in a way that makes us vulnerable. Jesus spoke truth to power from the margins. We mustn't forget that. Eugene Peterson speaks of this way of being as a collective, as the church, 
as like the movement of a glacier. In our waiting of penance and putting on this armor by taking off our own, the church begins to move ever so slowly like a glacier, a meter a day. But in it, it forms these waterways, massive waterways in the rock forming large currents, moving the earth. When the church puts on this armor of light, as we wait, we leave our mark on this world. For while things are not as they fully should be, they still are. And Jesus is here and he is present. The band's gonna come up here and I want us to just kind of listen to this prayer by Thomas Merton. We believe in the power of prayer here at Kaleo and we think prayer is more important than just our own. So we pray the prayers of other people who have gone before us. But in this, where you're at, maybe close your eyes and allow the words to wash over you. Oh God, we are one with you. You have made us one with you. You have taught us that if we are open to one another, you dwell in us. Help us to preserve this openness and to fight for it with all our hearts. Help us to realize that there can be no understanding where there is mutual rejection, O oh God. In accepting one, another wholeheartedly, fully, completely, we accept you and we thank you and we adore you and we love you with our whole being. Because our being is in your being. Our spirit is rooted in your spirit. Fill us then with love and let us be bound together with love as we go our diverse ways. United in the one spirit which makes us, makes you present in this world, which makes you witness to the ultimate reality that is love. Love has overcome. Love is victorious. Amen. There's a voice in the wilderness and it is calling us to repent. And as we do so, we enter into a journey. This journey is the way of the lamb and it's going towards a place called peace. And as we follow, there's a scene of a helmet on the ground and a quarter mile up, there's a sword and so on and so forth to where the ground is completely littered with the armor of God's people that have been rejected and cast aside. There's also a trail of blood and it is the blood of the lamb. And we continue to follow, stripping down the things that are in the way that do not bear that image as we go on our journey to this place called peace something starts happening to us and it's this journey we find in us and we start to climb onto this splintered cross. No, it does not feel good, but here we are and we are committed to this journey. We're committed to the ways. And then something happens and it seems like our eyes are open for the very first time. We keep awake and we see that this place that we are going, we've been to all along for it's not a journey to peace, but a journey of peace.
Jesus came the first time as a baby. He grew in wisdom and stature and favor with God and man. He preached the ways of the kingdom. He also preached to repent. Because of the way that he preached, he was ultimately killed and rejected by those who did want to follow him. He just didn't fit their narrative. But in that, he lived a life that fully embodied who God is and what he wanted to say that also showed us how to be human. That's the way of peace and it got him killed. But death could not hold him. The grave could not keep him contained for he had victory over death and brought about our salvation and said, I am going to another place. When I return, you will not know, but I will not leave you as orphans. I promise I'll return, but in the meantime, wait. Wait. And in our waiting, we find ourselves on this journey. And maybe that journey has been the point the whole time. Sure, 2020 is not ideal. And also, this human existence hurts sometimes, but there's a voice in the wilderness and it calls upon us. There's hope. Will you go on this journey to a place of peace? Jesus, we thank you. We love you. May we shed the things that keep us from you. May we repent, God. God, may we wait well together. It's in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, we pray. Amen. For more resources or information about Kaleo, please visit our website at kaleophx.com or follow us on social media. If this episode has been helpful to you, let us know or share it with someone you know.